0: I've given um, many John the Baptist-type homilies throughout my priesthood. And, uh, you know, I generally, these days, I'm about a little reluctant to do so, a little bit more like no- uh no, not Noah, um, a little bit more like uh, Jonah. Jonah. Jonah the prophet, he was a reluctant prophet. Remember how he ended up in the fish? Was God called him to go preach repentance to the Ninevites and he ran away and so God said well you know we'll see about that (laughs) and he got him back and Jonah preached to the Ninevites and they repented. People didn't really want to be prophets because a prophet meant telling people what they didn't really like to hear Um, but I'm going to do that today. Um, Not to say that you don't want to hear it but taking the words of John the Baptist fruit of repentance implies people know what to repent from. If there isn't sin then there's no need of repentance. If there isn't sin, there's no need of Jesus Christ or a Savior. Um, And it is my obligation as father of the community to inform your conscience and help you form your conscience. It is not to judge you. I don't judge you at all. But it's, it's to give you the information for you to judge actions that either you've committed or not committed, or about to commit. Now remember, I am a moral theologian, right? This is my specialty. The church, you know, I got the degree with the Pope's name on it, saying I'm an expert. So I have some... <laughs> And we're not saying that to to be all prideful or whatever, but to tell you, like, you know, I know what I'm talking about here. So what I'm going to give you is the straight stuff. And I'm I'm very confident that it's authentic Catholic teaching. Um, Now, so what happens then is as we receive what the church is giving us, it comes from divine law. I'm basically going to do a group examination of conscience. Divine law is given to us. And then through the apostolic tradition, Um, sort of the more, the nuances or the extensions of like the Ten Commandments are sort of fleshed out. And then what happens is an individual conscience receives what has been handed on and then has to judge whether they have committed a mortal sin or a venial sin, whether they need to go to confession, etc. So if you say to me, Father, is this a sin? I will say, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I know it's grave matter were you totally free? And did you fully know? I can't, t- I can't judge your conscience. I can give you the criteria, but that's actually the function of your conscience. to ju- That's how the whole deal works. Okay. Now, we do live as Christians in a world where we believe in objective truth. Now, out there, objective truth is gone. It doesn't exist. Right. So in a postmodern world, one of the hallmarks of postmodernity is what we might call a radical subjectivism, which is that every individual subject determines truth and reality for themselves. And it's it's chaos. And if you think about it philosophically, it's actually ridiculous. It, It doesn't hold. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But the reality is that is the world we live in. And so everything we see is infected by it. Every uh, movie we watch and TV show, it's all infected by this sort of um, each individual can determine truth. The Christian doesn't believe in that. I mean, it's incompatible with Christianity. It's incompatible with Judaism. It's incompatible with, with Islam because we have a God who has spoken objectively And the Jews received this objective teaching, the Ten Commandments, particularly, but the whole law of God. They received it from God as an act of love from him. Because God was communicating to them how to live rightly. As opposed to all of the other nations around them, who of course God wasn't communicating to, God saw his chosen people and blessed them with how to live, how to love one another, and how to love him how to live virtuous lives. And they saw this. As, so God is a God of, of law, but he's also a God of love. And the law is an expression of his love. A parent teaches their children how to live rightly because they love their, chi- their children. And they know that to be a mature human being and a fully functioning adult or even a half functioning adult, they need to live a certain way. And so you teach your children right and wrong because you want them to thrive. We are imaging God in doing so. So here we go. You ready? Here we go. Commandment number one, have no other gods before your God. Now, really every other commandment could fit in under this because choosing anything other than God is an offense against the first commandment. So any of the other sins would fit, but specifically we, you know, there, there are permutations of this like believing in superstition or involving yourself in occult practices and things like that. But in the main, this is those times in our life where we have basically lived our lives as though God is not sovereign. The job was sovereign. Making money was sovereign. The relationship was sovereign. In other words, God really wasn't first. And I don't mean affectation. I don't mean aspiration. The commandments are not aspirations. They're commandments. So when we say God is number one in my life, show me. Well, I feel like, nah. show me. That's what He's talking about. Am I number one or not? Show me in your actions if I am first. So, the times we have failed in this are are the times when we really haven't lived lived as though God is, is first. Second, commandment. I know you have all these memorized, but we'll just go through them just in case. Taking the Lord's name in vain. This is a big sin. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It is not vulgarity. It's not just bad language, which isn't even necessarily a sin. Using vulgar language isn't necessarily a sin. St. Paul uses vulgarity in his writings. It's translated as dung heap. My Latin professor told me how we would really translate that into English, and that's exactly what he was saying. That's not a sin, and that is not taking God's name in vain. The, this second commandment forbids us from using God's name as anything other than you know, blessing and praise, using his name in a callous manner, casual manner, and of course cursing with his name, etc. It's specifically you know, God the Father and Jesus, and even it extends to Mary and the saints. It's the idea that a person is taking something sacred and profaning it using vulgarity is vulgar it's a separate deal it has nothing to do with the second commandment this has to do with taking what should only be used in a holy fashion sacred fashion and profaning it third commandment god from the beginning created the sabbath for mankind it's created for us it's the the order of the universe exists in part so that we keep the Sabbath holy. It's it's part of the entire fabric of how he created human existence, that the Sabbath is meant for the worship of God, not just to have, again, aspirational thoughts about it. From the beginning, God instructed his people, not just keep the day holy by, you know, going out and thinking holy things. No, he was specific about how they were to worship him. This is how you will keep the Sabbath holy. You will worship me on the Sabbath. And the Jews did that. And they considered this, of course, a very grave offense. If they did not, it was very, very serious. And what did Jesus do? He kept it going. And what did he do at the Last Supper? Do this in memory of me. So as the. as the new covenant is brought to fulfillment, right, in Jesus Christ, as the, as the old law is brought to fulfillment, we have the Eucharist presented by God himself as the way we are to worship him on Sunday. Now, all of these things, by the way, are mortal sins, if you don't do them. Taking God's name in vain, mortal sin. Not going to Mass on Sunday, mortal sin. You know, you're sick, right? I mean, look you're sick. You hit your hammer with a or you hit your finger with a hammer and you just say something different. It's different. Right? A mortal sin has to be full knowledge, full freedom, grave matter. Grave matter is generally specified by the Ten Commandments although it kind of depends and we'll get to that when we get to uh, uh, 7 and 8 but it kind of depends on the gravity of the situation no doubt but you know more or less they're specified by the Ten Commandments. And, and with the use of, of right reason, okay? So if you, um, if you go on vacation, I've had this before, many times before. Gosh, I've been a priest tw- almost 23 years. Father, I, you know, I miss Mass on Sunday. Oh, okay, well, well, I was on vacation. Oh, right? Where'd you go on vacation? Oh, Las Vegas. Oh. They have churches in Las Vegas, Father, do I have to go to Mass when I'm on vacation? Yes, it's not vacation from God. You have to go to Mass. Oh, well, Father, what if we're in, we're, you know, we went hiking, we're in the bottom of the Grand Canyon? Well, okay, yeah, right. You have no freedom to go. But if you have freedom to go, you're obliged to go. That's how it works. Four, children, this is your parents' favorite commandment honor your father and mother. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. Children, the Lord, it's from God himself that you are to honor your parents and obey them until you are free. It's <laughs> a weird way of saying it, but that's the way the church speaks of it. Until the child is liberated is the way it, the, the catechism states it. Until you're out While you are under your parents' authority, you are to obey them. This gets really difficult, though. As you move into your teenage years, of course, it gets very difficult to obey. It's hard to obey them when you're little, but it gets more and more difficult. It's supposed to. It's part of what it means to go through maturity, to become your own person, is there then exists this tension, and parents have to start letting go and honoring freedom as they deem you know is right for their children, but children still maintain that tension of needing to be obedient and honor. Now, even after a child is liberated, as it is, they still owe their parents honor and respect. Now, parents, of course, you are not to provoke your children, right? You're to be understanding. You're, you're, you are to discipline them. That is right and proper in the Lord. However, with dignity right? And with charity. Five, thou shalt not kill. This is one that's very often very uh, misunderstood. Not all killing is wrong. Murder is wrong, defined as the unjust killing of an innocent life. Therefore, abortion is always wrong. This is one of those that is called an intrinsic evil, which means There is nothing that makes it good. There is no possible way that an act of murder can be good or justified. It's not possible. This is the teaching of the church. Uh, John Paul II reaffirmed this as infallible teaching in Evangelium Vitae. He also said the same of euthanasia. Um, Now, another particular speciality of mine is... Is bioethics. Um, The church does not teach that a person has to keep themselves alive at all costs. That's not what the church teaches. It's okay to let, it's okay to let yourself die. It's okay to let nature take its course. It's not okay to expedite it or to cause it. That's the distinction. And so with both things, obviously having, you know, committed these actions, Abortion or euthanasia is sinful in itself, but so is what is called formal and material cooperation in it. All these terms. It's being recorded. You can go back and listen. Formal cooperation is agreeing or giving consent or encouraging somebody to procure an abortion or commit an act of euthanasia. Material cooperation is helping is helping the act, so one is act, one is intention, sharing the intention. Six, okay, so we have children here. Children, this is the, the time that your parents are gonna say, father was just talking to the adults. So I will try to use creative language. All sexual activity outside of marriage is sinful. All of it, well, okay. I'm not gonna get into the weeds about this. You should know which ones I'm talking about. Not the light stuff, the heavy stuff. Outside of marriage, it's sinful, period. Contraception, sinful, period. Um, yeah, that's enough on that. If you have questions, ask me later. It's pretty clear. All right, seven and eight. Seven and eight are very closely connected for, for, for uh, some interesting reasons. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, um, bear false witness. So, these have to do with gravity, particularly, right? I mean, stealing uh, five dollars is different from embezzling millions of dollars, and then there's all kinds of gradation in between. Okay. The same thing with lying. There's, there's basically, look, you're in trouble if she asks you if you like her hair. You are in trouble if you don't answer that right, and everyone knows it, including God. I've come up, men, I've come up, we should do this at a men's group some night, because I have come up with some creative ways to get out of that. Like, I have never seen a hairstyle like that in my life. (laughs) Honey, you are so spectacular, only you could pull that off. Um... (laughs) But you know, sometimes we get caught and we, we say something and it's, is it technically a lie? Yes. Now, one of the ways within your conscience to determine the gravity of your sin, was it mortal or not, has to do with what is the punishment for it. Remember that the punishment for an unrepented mortal sin is hell. Church teaching, clear. If a person uh, chooses through an action to basically reject God in his totality then they're rejecting God unto eternity unless they repent unless they repent so the gravity of it has got to be pretty heavy okay now you you might say well father tell me if it's a mortal sin like I said I can't I can give you the criteria full freedom full knowledge and grave matter you have to make that decision You have to pray about that and come to that that decision of conscience. So 7 and 8. 9 and 10. Um, Coveting thy neighbor's wife. Okay, look. Someone catches your eye because they're beautiful is not a sin. It happens all the time, even to your priest. There's nothing wrong with beauty. And being a man particularly, I don't know how it works for women. I assume it's similar. Sometimes you just think, whoa. Praise God, Um, but (laughs) you do, and, uh, but when she becomes the movie in your head, and there's a plot, and a story, and a, you know, then you're in trouble, okay, that's where you're taking it on, you're, you're sort of, (laughs) you're taking responsibility for what's going on in your head, okay, that's, that's where you're, you're going off the rails. And again, there's gradation with that, okay? Now, coveting that neighbor's goods, this one is really interesting. It doesn't get confessed a lot, which is uh, interesting. It's always interesting, those things which get confessed and which don't. Um, but this one has to do with not just jealousy. I wish I had that, too. Envy is, dis- is defined as sorrow at another's good, that person received a blessing. That person received um, a a promotion. Uh, That person has this gift or that skill. And not only are you jealous, you're actually sad that they have that and wish you could have that for yourself. right? So envy is much, much deeper than just wanting what they have. You're actually upset that they have it and you don't. They got the promotion and you didn't. And I don't just mean the little disappointment. I mean a deep kind of thing, a deep sorrow. Okay. So there's more. You know, there's the seven deadlies, and, you know, we could do this all day, but boy, do we not want to. Um, But this is the season, right? Lent, you're going to get seven weeks of this. So Advent is just four weeks. It's a little less, but it's important. If you don't know the laws of God, how do we ever repent? And remember what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from those things that are not God toward God. And we have a loving God. And so if your conscience right now is provoked in some fashion and you think, you know, I've I've committed a horrible sin or maybe a lesser sin. Remember, if it's a venial sin, if it's a lesser sin, you don't have to go to confession for it. At the beginning of Mass, we have the, the, uh, the penitential rite, which is sort of, it's, it's supposed to cover that. But also even receiving communion um, and confessing your, your sin, those sins internally before you do. So if, if you have those, if they've been brought to mind, you know, as you're coming forward to receive Holy Communion, you know, have some sorrow for your sins because you love God. Now, if you, if you believe you've committed a mortal sin... You can receive communion. It's in the book. You can receive communion so long as you make an act of of penitence or contrition because of your love for God if you have the firm resolution to go to confession as soon as possible. Okay? It's all on the books. You know, it's the straight stuff. The church actually teaches that a person is forgiven of their mortal sin antecedent to even going to confession that they're already forgiven because of their desire to receive forgiveness. So merciful is God. And you might say, well, then, Father, why do we have to go? I don't know. Jesus said so. Jesus gave his authority to the apostles, and they figured out how this was going to work, and that's basically what we believe. They have the authority. They've handed it on, and we, do, we believe there's this human element. So just as Jesus forgave sins personally, so the priest acts in the place of Christ to forgive sins personally. Um, now, this week we're a little busy. We've got uh, we've got the holy day and stuff, but the subsequent weeks I'm going to have some more times for confession. Okay, we do have uh, Thursday and Friday after Mass, morning Mass, but I'm going to have some evening opportunities coming up, and I'll you know of course let you know when those are um, in the evenings to. Um, to help you with this. And then there are other parishes too that you might find. But to finish, the reason we receive the law of God like this is because he loves us and he wants us to live in freedom. And to live in freedom means to live in what is good, to act according to goodness, to be godly as much as we can. And the truth is we're all on this journey And you're on a journey, I'm on a journey, and my job is to walk with you. I won't abandon you as your priest. I will walk with you and help you as much as I can along the way. And of course, God will never abandon you either. His love for you is so deep. The reason he gives the law is to turn you back to him so that you might live in that love know that love well you know obviously anytime you go through those things uh, you're going to miss a bunch of stuff but one of them i just want to clear up real quickly because you're going to ask not all killing is wrong so very quickly obviously if you're in the ukraine you have the right to defend yourself right so we always have the right to defend ourselves against an unjust aggressor even if that might mean killing them uh, if that's proportionate it's first one capital punishment Uh, The church has has not taught and doesn't teach that it's intrinsically evil, so it's not always wrong. Um, There was a time that the church taught it was actually legitimate punishment. They narrowed that to the self-defense. If you can't incarcerate such people, then the state has no other option but to protect society by adverting to capital punishment. However, more consistent with our ethics of life, uh, given uh, penal systems now are quality enough generally throughout the world and so we ought not advert to capital punishment if we don't have to.